Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by news editor Graham Davis. How are you doing, Graham? Hello, John. Very well. And you? Yeah, not too bad. Recovered from your house move? No, not really. (laughs) It was pretty pretty stressful. You've come back for a rest, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. That was probably the most stressful week of my life. But, uh, you know, let's let's not dwell on that. Although there's a lot going on in in the news this week that kind of touches upon. My house moved, bizarrely enough. Um, I'm also joined by Julia Bradshaw, who's going to be talking Kingfisher today. Hi, John. Yeah, hello. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Kingfisher is a company that I've spent a lot of money in this week. B&Q. <laughs> Screwfix, actually. Screwfix, don't, don't do B&Q. No. Screwfix only. I'm a, I'm a trade kind of guy. Um, and uh, Alex Newman. How are you doing, Alex? Good. Alex, you Alex for joining us for the first time. You're going to talk to us about the cover feature this week, which is uh, about the election. Indeed. Which is it's a good piece, great piece, well written. Of course, the starting gun was fired now on the, uh, the election campaign this week. Uh, mm. So very exciting stuff, which completely passed me by in the blur of moving boxes around last week. But I'm sure you can enlighten me on what the hell is going on there. Um, so, Graham, what's, what's happening in, uh, in the world at large this week? What's, uh, what's in our seven days section? Mm, in the seven days section, um, uh, well, talking of uh, election, the boosts to the Conservative Party when uh, UK GDP figures for the uh, final three months of 2004 were revised up slightly. So um, growth last year was 2.8%, the strongest performance uh, over a year since before the financial crisis. So that's good. Well, it was leapt upon by the, the Tories, obviously, as, as signs that what they're doing is is, is, is correct and obviously leapt upon by everybody else uh, as, as signs that, that, that although things are going well, lots of people are getting left behind. So you know, the usual, the politicians will use it as a ball to kick around. Mm. Um, but you know things things are looking a little bit better. The, the markets have a bit had a bit of a funny week. Everything flipped out a little bit yesterday. Um, that was that was Greece again, was it? Greece, Greece. Which we don't talk about agenda. on this podcast. No, no, um, but it's yeah. never going to go away. There was really. some uncertainty over the Nigerian election, although that's been, been mm. settled. And you know, it may have just been the end of quarter, John. People just banking profits. It was it was the, the end of the first quarter yesterday. And in our seven days page, we've we've looked at um, uh, some of the performance of the indices over the first quarter, certainly in Asia, um, where you think there's been a bit of uh, uncertainty over Asian economies. China slowed down. Japan, not you know, nothing that uh, Abe is doing at the moment seems to be working that well in terms of in terms of encouraging the economic growth there, but the uh, equity indices have done very well. Yeah. I know, I know you've got a piece here about um, Euro, Eurozone deflation uh, fears are slight, starting to ease somewhat mm. as well. Actually. Yeah, you wonder whether, the, you know, one month into the QE programme, is that in, is that long enough for this to be really seen in, in the deflation figures? But apparently deflation eased off in uh, in, in March. So um, we shall see, Eurozone. Um, German employment figures are very good. Yeah. Unemployment in Germany is at its lowest um, record low, apparently. Wow. So, you know, um, bits of Europe are, are, are going pretty well. Yeah, nothing feels especially bad to me. Uh, mm. And in fact, the world, which seemed horrific uh, two weeks ago as I, <laughs> as I ploughed through the final stages of exchanging contracts on a house move uh, and then packing, uh, yeah. it feels wonderful today. I don't think I've ever felt more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, in talking of Germany, the, the DAX has, has risen 23% in the first quarter this year. Wow. Um, a lot of that is down to uh, to QE, uh, uh, the expectation of QE before the beginning of March as well. FTSE's up, FTSE 100's up 3%, so yeah, I know where yeah. I'd like to put, keep my money, I think. Well, indeed, indeed. Um, let's move quickly on to the news section, because mm. uh, there's some uh, some interesting stuff going on there as well. Uh, Quindell, one of our uh, our old favourites. 
Yes, Quindell. <laughs> Quindell. It, it's it's a very popular stock with investors. This John, as, is we, it? as we know, it's a bit marmite, isn't it? It's a love love hate thing, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But you know, um, it, it, this week it finally came came good on on its plans to sell uh, the professional services business for a lot of money. Mm. Six hundred and thirty-seven million pounds. It's basically a law firm, mm. is it? That it's that it's selling here. Yeah, right. uh, effectively, uh, it's selling it to the Australian company Slater and Gordon. And good news for investors is that it looks like they might get um, over a hundred pence a share back from this deal. Okay. What they're left with is debatable. It's a sort of uh, then becomes a sort of technology services to the insurance industry business, much smaller than it previously was. The board has been cleared out. There's a new chief uh, chairman there. Um, Theron Mohammed has kept has put kept on a hold, which was, has been our sort of default position for a while now. Yeah, we we got a bit of a kicking for that uh, mm. when you know things were at their darkest with this company. Uh, we got a bit of a kicking for uh, you know not bailing out completely, not suggesting investors yeah. bail out completely. And uh, I think you know we kind of been vindicated somewhat. Mm, there. there was always bits of this business that were decent, always, mm, mm. and I think that's been proven by 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 what Slater and Gordon are paying for this chunk of it i guess the big i mean we also saw this week uh the results of the review that price waterhouse pwc were uh were, were compiling on um quindell's accounting yeah. procedures and you know some of the concerns around what was going on there were, were kind of borne out with this report mm. so i mean i think they said uh the accounting policies were at the aggressive end of acceptable <laughs> practice <laughs> yes. although that technically does mean that they are within acceptable they practice largely acceptable yeah, yeah, which is yeah, they were yeah, as you say, they were pushing the boundaries a little, but it was all above board still. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, so actually, our position all along has been, you know, there is some decent, there, there were some decent, as you said, components mm. within this business. Um, it was an easy one for short sellers to get their teeth into because some of the accounting practices were indeed somewhat, somewhat dubious, yeah. if if not illegal. Um, and so now we can perhaps we perhaps have a clean clean slate here. And yeah, the the sale to um, Slate Slater and Gordon does need shareholder approval. Hmm. Um, so that's one small stumbling block. Yeah, still you to ima- overcome. You imagine it will get that approval, but yeah, okay, we'll see. And uh, elsewhere in, the, in in the news section, um, actually, Alex might be able to 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 help us with this because he's written about this um, at length last week and again this week. Um, Interesting uh, arrival on the main market uh, on Thursday morning, the 2nd of April, expected is um, is BCA Marketplace, which is uh, 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 which has been bought by Haversham Holdings, um, which is British car auctions. It owns WeBuyAnyCar.com, uh, as well as lots of auction houses. Which you may be frequenting soon, John. Yeah, yeah. New car. Well, I've moved to um, I've moved to a town that has no direct rail connection, um, which some may say is extremely foolish. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I need to buy a car, a second car, which I don't really. There you go. Mm. Whatever. Um, so yeah, Alex, tell us about tell us about this one. What do we, what do we think? So uh, Havisham Holdings, which is a was a shell company backed by elements of of the investment house Marwin. Okay, we know Marwin, they're, uh, mm. they've been around, they've yeah. done deals that we've liked in the got past. Got a good record. Yeah, yeah, they've got a very good record. And they, um, they together with uh, Autologic's uh, former chief executive, have um, obviously attracted a lot of interest from some serious investors, including uh, including Woodford Funds, Aviva, uh, Investec, I think, also in there, to, to take BCA 
effectively to the market. So their, their previous private equity owners tried to, to list in October, but that fell through, I think, because of uh, uncertainties in, in pricing at the time. Well, there were a few wobbles around the IPO market towards the end of last year, and that number of businesses didn't get away at that time and have, have got away since, uh, Aldermore being one of them. Wizz Air being another one. Wizz Air being another, which <laughs> floated last week, was it? Uh, no, it floated a few weeks ago, but had, right. res- had result had a trading up. Oh, okay, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. But yeah, but the, I mean, the big sticking point to, to getting BCA uh, to the market was it was saddled with a, a, a colossal amount of debt, which is nothing new when you're you're going from private equity to mm. to um, uh, the main market. But it has cleared quite a, a substantial chunk chunk of that in, um, in 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 this listing. So a lot of that's been been paid down, and it's taken out a new facility. I mean, the shares are listing. I think tomorrow at 150p probably will re-rate given. Uh, that's 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 quite a quite a low multiple, but um, yeah, remain to be seen how how strong a, an investment case it is. Mm. Auto Trader is also list, is, is yeah. listing pretty uh, soon, so it's, it is hotting up in the secondary car market. Yeah, been frequenting Auto Trader quite yeah. quite quite a lot the last few days. Um, I mean, we, I actually wrote um, uh, uh, editorial a few weeks back on on, on secondary car markets and buying and julia it's one of your sectors in fact is, yeah. we, we like it it's a good sector we do like the yeah the retail car sector it's been doing pretty well actually mm. over the past three years as new car sales have been have been growing um although uh, this year the the general expectation is that the growth in the new car market will will slow to a more sort of sustainable level than it was maybe sort of pre-crash kind of thing but it's been you know it's not where it was before the the crash and you know it's been rising steadily ever has, since yeah. ever since it, the, it bottomed after and that and the good news is that uh new car sales trickle down into used car sales yeah uh which trickles down into after sales, after sales which, which is slightly higher margin for the car retailers slightly it's massively uh, higher margin. It's, ma- <laughs> it's massively higher margin but in terms of margins it's still quite slim yeah yeah it's something to bear in mind but yes the it, it is a good good sector at the moment Do you, is there any any uh, um, of the uh, listed car dealers, the, the established car dealers that we particularly like at the moment? We have Lookers on a buy at the okay. moment. Uh, we have Virtue Motors on a hold, if I remember correctly. And uh, Inchcape as well we have on a hold. Inchcape being much more international in Inchcape its, in is scope. a huge global billion pound um, car, yeah. car retailer. That's right. Car retail. Well, there we go. They'll be getting mm. some of my money, uh, no doubt, in the uh, foreseeable future. Uh, as will uh, Kingfisher. Yes. Um, through Screwfix. So let's talk about that, Julia. Well, uh, thank you, Alex, by the way. Sorry, thank you. Sure. Um, so let's talk about Kingfisher. Well, what has happened there? Be very interesting developments it this is, week. It is very interesting. So Kingfisher's got this new um, new boss, Veronique Laurie, who uh, used to head up their French Castorama business, and she's basically unveiled the new strategy for Kingfisher. Well, actually, quite a lot of things happened. She, she unveiled the new strategy. They announced that this uh, forthcoming acquisition of Monsieur Bricolage... Monsieur Bricolage. ...won't be happening, um, because the owners who represent the franchisees and Monsieur Bricolage basically pulled out. Zut what are they, what are they going oh to do? Gosh. So they've got some money left over then? Yeah, they've got uh, some money left over and asked whether or not you know they had plans for those earmarked funds. Uh, they basically said that they would return. They wouldn't keep excess cash on the balance sheet, which basically is management speak for... Giving the, it back. Yeah, big possibility of shareholder returns. Okay. Um, which, which is a good... Yeah, which is great for shareholders. And uh, we put the stock back on a buy because the rating is pretty low. Yeah, well, the shares have seemed... When I looked at the share price because they had results this week... Did yeah. they not? And the, the the shares have weakened quite substantially. They've weakened over the past a lot. Year. Yeah, I mean, they last year they had good growth and then they started tailing off a bit. 
Um, uh, but you know, we think that there's a big possibility that this this new strategy for for a one kingfisher, basically streamlining operations across the group, mm. buying power scale, that kind of thing. I thought they were doing that already. No, they weren't really doing that already. They're I'm doing sure that they now. were doing that already. Well, well, I used to cover this. They talked about you know uh, self sourcing, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and it's the, you know the same kind of suppliers would be supplying the group. I'm sure. Th- this is fairly standard stuff that I thought they were doing already in some well, respects. Well, according to Miss Laurie, she went around the business and found that they weren't doing that. So they said they were. So they said they were and they weren't. Apparently, okay. you know, uh, Brico Depot in France was completely managed and operated differently than, right. for instance, Brico Depot in Spain. Uh, and whether or not unifying that products across Europe is a good idea, it slightly smacks of sort of EU speak, doesn't it? Where you sort of have one blanket policy for lots of, lots of nations, whether or not that's that'll work. Mm. Um, I it, mean, does, it does make sense in terms of scale. It makes sense power. in terms of scale, yeah. And the, we just like the fact that the shares are reasonably cheap. They've got a new new story, new chief executive, a big shape up in the company, and then these shareholder returns. And they're shutting. Good. They're shutting a lot of B and Qs. Aren't they're they? shutting sixty B and Qs. That's a shots, lot of B and Qs. A lot. But one thing we've been saying all throughout the year is that one of B and Q's biggest weaknesses is that it's got this bloated estate which is having trouble slimming down because it's it's sort of locked into these onerous leases and now mm. I think they're just biting the bullet and taking a massive charge on that. I think it'll be something around three hundred and eighty million pounds over the next couple okay. of years. And they're opening instead more screw fixes. They're in the opening UK. more screw fixes which have been growing hugely actually. They've been very successful. Good shops. They good are good. Shops. I like Screwfix. Much better than B and Q. I Much think better. you know B and Q is where you go if you're a, if you're a, a DIY novice who doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> Screwfix is for the pros. Screwfix is are slightly further upscale. And the prices are good, and the service is good, and you don't really wait in line, do you? It's kind of like an Argos of the it's DIY great. world. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's another one actually. I think I'm pretty sure, and I might be wrong. So, if you're listening to this and I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure the guy that set up Screwfix and sold it to Kingfisher uh, has subsequently set up another. Uh, trade outlet called Tool Station, oh, really? which is which is also really good. Mm, I'll have to check that you out. You heard it here first. Oh, um, but yes, anyway, so uh, yeah, so Fix is doing well and doing well in Germany, where they had a, a trial run and they're going to open more stories over there because it's yeah. been doing so well. So. No, not surprised. I mean, the trade story is a good one because we, you know, we've seen the trade story works for uh, Howard Joinery, which we like, mm-hmm. um, which a kitchen supplier to mm-hmm. the trade. Uh, to, uh, Tops Tiles has Tops started tiles. to do a lot more in terms of targeting the trade rather than yeah. rather than the retail yeah. um, customer. So yeah, it's uh, good stuff there. Um, okay, let's get, let's move away from uh, DIY and turn to fashion retail, which you, which you've also written about this week, Julia. I have, and that was Supergroup. Supergroup, another one of my old favourites. <laughs> Supergroup, which has had a it's had a pretty rotten year. But, rotten two or three years, in fact. Well, just this, it had a good year up until the spring last year, and then it right. had a pretty rotten year because it had week like for like sales but but in the past it's had all sorts of problems with, with systems and warehousing systems. buying the wrong stock and yeah. all sorts of terrible things that well now a listed business should really get right but anyway let's let's not go there anyway now we've got uh it's got a new a new boss yep which is good i meet you in sutherland yeah and he's see i when they announced his appointment i was somewhat surprised because he was formerly the boss of the co-op yeah mm. but not a fashion guy no no not a fashion guy <laughs> 
Okay, but we like him. He's, uh... We like him. And the reason why, I, uh, um, if I remember correctly, the reason why he left the co-op was basically because he found the whole structure of the co-op so hugely um, bureaucratic and hopeless that he couldn't make any changes. Well, it's got... a shambles, basically. Yeah, yeah. And he tried and he couldn't, so he's he's basically gone to Supergroup to where he's you know hopefully going to help turn slightly turn the company around. Yep. And what they the big so the big news from Supergroup is that they've unveiled a new strategy, which is. Pretty much. I mean, they've said it's about broadening the appeal, which basically means going slightly up market, a premium range of products. Idris Elba is the face Idris of Idris Elba. Luther, for those of you Luther who are... Uh, and the next Bond. The next Bond? Is he really going to be yeah, the next he's Bond? He's been touted as the next Seriously? Bond. Oh, okay. Not confirmed then. Not confirmed. Well, Mandela as well. He's, he's yeah. And yeah, so they're going more up market, sort of nicer clothes, more sophisticated clothes, moving Good. away from the sort of supergroup Japanese logo style garments that yeah. they're known for, which, yeah. is, which is a good move. Frankly. I think it's a good move because I will not wear that stuff uh, as it currently stands. Uh, I think it's extremely tacky. Sorry, supergroup. But, you know, I think you're making the right moves here yeah. by, 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 by actually smartening it up a bit. And they had, I mean, they had been, we did ask them. We have been asking them sort of periodically, do you think you are going to move away from these logos and this mm. branding? Because it's not really that, you know, you can't really stretch that branding that far. I mean, it, it only appeals to a certain segment of the population. They kept saying, no, no, it's our core, it's our core logo, our core business. Mm. But now they've sort of seen the light, which is good. And presumably a lot of that was down to Mr. Sutherland. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's very sensible. I, mean, I, I must have, many years back, just after it floated, probably 2011, I actually put Supergroup on a sell. It was a very successful sell for a while. And on the basis that uh, yeah, for a youth brand, you know, when you, when you started seeing dads wearing this stuff, then uh, you think, oh dear, oh dear, something's going to go wrong here. The core demographic may not take too kindly to these, uh, you know, fat men in tight T-shirts. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is very sensible. It Very is, sensible because the big big question mark over Supergroup was always the longevity of, exactly. the, of the brand. Exactly, and the I mean, if you look go into their stores and look at their products, they are the quality is good. Yeah, uh, they just have to tweak you know tweak the ranges a little bit. And uh, as part of that announcement as well, they said that they're buying back their U.S. licensee, which is what they've done in in Germany and Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah, I remember well. doing that. And that's good news because the licensee there was really not doing what um, it was supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, and they've announced a dividend. Nice. Well. So that'll sweeten shareholders, and that was probably responsible for the the increase in the share price over the past uh, few days. So we've got these on a buy. Yeah, they've been a, they were a very successful buy tip until about April last year when the share price started tailing off. Um, but we still have them on a buy. You've stuck through. You've stuck through, stuck the, through uh, the tough and, times. And it's. I mean, it's the shares are ticking up and. Provided that they get, you know, the, they keep getting their like-for-like sales through, I think there there will be some momentum behind the shares to at least bring them past our original buy tip price. Mm. Hopefully, well, never change management. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Could uh, could work wonders. Guys, change management's everywhere. They you're are. you're writing about supermarkets next I week, am, and yeah. uh, all change there Have at the a top. And, uh, it is yeah. completely different. Yeah, watch out for that one in next week's IC. Okay. Thank you, Julia. Alex, let's come back to you. And, and everyone feel free to chip in. It's politics, and uh, politics is something I'm sure we all have an opinion on. Let's talk about the election. Um, we're not a political magazine. We, I don't care uh, what the outcome is, necessarily. You do, do you, Julia? Oh, I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't speculate on which way I... Okay, let's not, I'm, let's not reveal our voting no. intentions on, on, yeah. uh, on the podcast. But uh, let's talk about 
what we are here to talk about, which is what does the election potentially mean for the UK stock market? And Alex, mm. you've done some uh, some research here. What, what, what's your view? Yeah, so, so well, this is the ultimate change in management, isn't it? Just to continue our, our previous discussions. I but like the that. Um, <laughs> Very the, good. Uh, the outlook, I guess, the uh, as you mentioned, John, before the the starting pistol was fired this week, and and today in the in the Telegraph, you've you've got 100 business leaders railing against the the prospects I, of a, of a Labour a Labour government and and that oh. would uniformly damage British business. That made me chuckle. I heard that on uh, on Radio Six this morning. It was like, yes, 100 leaders have written an open letter, you know, uh, bemoaning the the potential of a Labour victory, including the boss of BP and uh, former Dragon Duncan <laughs> Bannister. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe 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 Duncan's Jim. <laughs> uh, would, would benefit from um, anyway, the government. Who yes. knows? Yeah, so we wanted to look at, at how the, the run-up to the election is likely to affect shares and also what the various scenarios will mean for for the different sectors uh, which we cover. So the, the key thing here is that equities probably won't be uh, won't be affected too much by by the, the volatility because there's, there's, in a way, a lot to be... A lot has been... It's kind of been forecast by both a sort of commitment from the from most parties to austerity and a reliance that interest rates are gonna are yeah. gonna stay fairly low. So, in a way, a lot of the uncertainty has been priced in. Um, yeah, I, I, so Chris Dillo wrote something like this, he did uh, this well, week, yeah. well, which yeah. I thought was very interesting. I mean, his, his view was, yeah, I mean, you, you might get a bit of volatility in the short term uh, around the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the outcome might, or we don't know what the outcome's going to be because it's a very tight tight yeah. race. So, you know, the markets don't like uncertainty as I think you mentioned in your piece but one thing he says is that you know this idea that Labour is anti-business is going to you know rip everything up and uh, you know it's going to be a nightmare he Chris argues that that just simply cannot mm. be the case you yeah. just can't do that because it's the, f- the foundation of the economy and yeah. nobody wants the economy to weaken uh, there may be some tinkering around tax and uh, but you know I, I think everyone is fairly committed and you write it in your piece that that, that tax should be fair across the board, and you know the whole the um, the whole avoidance of tax by multinationals. I think is an interesting point. I don't think any parties um, mm. against uh, making that a, a, a more equitable situation. Indeed, yeah. But well, on on the uh, on the multi- multinationals front, it doesn't matter so much what any one politician is going to say. I mean, obviously uh, George Osborne came out and said he will raise about three billion pounds from from the Amazons and, and mm. Googles of this. This this world, which uh, uh, engaged in transfer pricing by uh, by 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 raising a levy there, um, but ultimately, when it comes to multinationals taxation, that that will be part of a, a a broader effort by by the by the Organisation of Economic Cooperation and Development. Yep. So, politicians or UK politicians' hands are are tied there, uh, relatively speaking. The effect that they're they're more likely to have is on individual sectors. Um, vis-a-vis different policies. Okay. So, what sectors are we uh, are we most worried about then? Banking. banking. Surely, bank- banking is always a bit of a political hot potato. Well, indeed, indeed. I mean, the ch- the chancellor has already flagged it flagged in the budget that there there will be an additional levy, which is likely to hit certain certain banks harder than others. Yep. Obviously, you've got RBS and Lloyd's divestments uh, continuing and and 
that's likely to affect those shares depending on when a sale is is uh, will will come to fruition. But that's going to be a market thing. That's not not so much a political decision, is it? I mean, that's when when those businesses are ready to be given back to the public, then then they will be given back to the public. I don't think you Indeed, know yeah. whether whether you have a Tory government or a Labour government, they, they can accelerate the process. That's, especially that's true. And and where where you may see policy come into uh, uh, come into force a bit more uh, is is. Is, is regarding uh, challenge banks. I think the la- Labour's is a bit more keen on on, on seeing a, a wider market for for banking. How it will go about doing that, or whether there is not enough competition already in mm. the banking sector. Is, well, we, we've is actually another co- point. we've yeah. covered this as well in the in the yeah. magazine this week in the sector folks. We've got a, a big piece on challenge banks uh, in, written by Ian Smith. We've actually written, spoken about it several times in the past. You know, I I, I think it's a, uh, an interesting point, and I, I think the point that's made in in this piece is that. Again, there is only so quickly that these challenger banks can be created. In terms of splitting them out of larger banks, that's a process that takes time. Getting a banking license takes time. Again, it's something that cannot be forced, basically. Well, the, the banking crisis is seven, six, seven years old, you know, and then now there is a, there are genuinely some challenger banks now. There are a number of them. It's taken five, six years for this to happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think so. things, I mean, move, things move slowly in the, in the banking world. And, and again, you know, I, I don't see this as a big. You know, the Tories are hardly standing in the way of the creation of of, uh, of competition in the banking mm. sector. So, I mean, yeah, again, a bit of a, I don't know, non-issue, shall mm, we say? I would, I would put it, certainly from a political perspective. Um, what about utilities, gas bills? Nobody likes a big gas bill, and and. Uh, this has been this has been one that's been discussed for a while because obviously uh, Milliband um, through uh, through the cat among the pigeons last year when he was talking about uh, energy pricing, and this hasn't gone away. It hasn't gone away, uh, and he he wants to replace Offgem. He's uh, talked about a, a price freeze until January 2017, which, given the the, the falling price of uh, of commodities, may come back to come come back to haunt him. Yeah, um, this. This probably is is uh, is the most politically div- divisive uh, issue uh, in this election when it when it comes to a specific sector, um, and uh, it's no surprise to see a few of the names of uh, 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 in energy on that list of 100 business leaders in in the Telegraph's uh, letter today. So we're talking we're talking actually the provision of of household energy, so your your utilities, but also on the list I mentioned BP earlier. So obviously mm. there's big issues around actually um, the extraction of oil in the North Sea, for example. I guess uh, always a problem. We've discussed the, the the taxation issue with uh, Mark Robinson a couple of weeks back, and uh, I guess um, quite complicated stuff. Um, the issue you focused on here, which I think is quite interesting, is uh, renewables and potentially the, the way they're subsidised. This is quite this is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, particularly when it comes to onshore wind farm projects that haven't been given planning permission, uh, the prime minister has said he would he would scrap subsidies there. Mm. That's gonna that's gonna translate to some considerable uncertainty in the renewable space. Nothing if, to do with nimbyism in the shires, that at all. Well, well, who knows? Um, <laughs> Donald Trump wants to build a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I suppose I mean we didn't mention this in the piece, but but um, one of the running themes so far about looking at the the uncertainty of this election is is that if if it does turn into a hung parliament or or or, or several elections and you we do get a bit more pork barrel politics that that these particular issues the nimbyism that that Graham just referred to may translate 
particularly poorly for for say a renewable skin renewable mm. uh, wind farm yeah. uh, scheme okay so the, so the risks in these sectors is, is is if the election process becomes protracted and drawn out and, and presumably the same would then apply to house building because you know nobody wants uh, a thousand houses built on their doorstep but but equally everybody wants more houses built so house prices don't keep True. rising house house building is probably the one sector that it's uh, uh, that will will do quite well regardless every every party has committed to greater uh, greater house building and presumably that means some reforms to the planning process to, to enable this stuff to be built more more easily indeed indeed i mean the, the one area where it may, it may it may uh come up against it is is in is in london where if a mansion tax was to were to be established um which which labor have, have pushed for another couple of a couple of other parties Lib- are keen the on libs Lib- the, uh, they want as well. they want a mansion tax that may affect uh property builders in in london yeah, but uh, I mean the, the 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 other thing it's worth mentioning as well is, which I, I think it's it's probably one of the, the very big you know the the big questions which is not answered immediately at this election, is the the question of the EU and how that translates for for equity. So if if a Conservative government gets in again or or some form of coalition with UKIP uh, is uh, is, is elected, <laughs> then that is going to that is going to create quite a lot more uncertainty uh, for equities as the, the possibility of an, uh, an exit from Europe is, that. is on that, the table. That's potentially two years. Yeah. So we're talking to 2017 would be what the ref- referendum or the referendum will come sooner? That's, that's when they've committed to hold a referendum by, right. by, by the end of two. I think UKIP would want it sooner, but yeah. they may not get that. Well, UKIP, I mean, are they really going to win a substantial number of seats, enough to warrant forming a coalition with? I mean... Well, they, they seem to have a lot of momentum, you know, a few months back. And the more I look at it, the wind is uh, leaking from their sails somewhat mm. in recent weeks. Mm. David Cameron's ruled out uh, a coalition with, with UKIP. But with with all of these deals or non-deals, there there could still be some sort of arrange, uh, arrangement or voting arrangement. There'll be a bit of horse trading, yeah. like there is in most European co- mm. countries, as it happens. Hey. Yeah. Maybe we could become it's, more European like by accident. It's normal in, in most countries. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is why, I mean, one of, one of my, my views, you know, so there, there, was a, there was a lot of concern. I think you've, you've mentioned some figures actually in your, uh, in your intro um, that, that after the last election, when we, we, we ended up with a coalition government, this would be a disaster and nothing mm. would ever get done. And actually, that's not proven to be the case at all. And, no. you know, my view would be much the same now. You know, the economy is in good shape, as we've, we talked about earlier. So there might be a bit of uncertainty around the election, but I think. I, I, I'm not too troubled myself. Mm. Not too troubled. But it is useful to pick pick out some of the sectors where we do need to be somewhat concerned because you, you know a lot of people may have exposure to these sectors. Yeah, and it's worth you, you can manage that that risk. I would say. Okay, thank you, Alex. Thank you very much. Okay. And uh, let's just quickly run through before we wrap up what else we've got in the magazine this week. Um, I've already mentioned in the sector focus we have the uh, Challenger Banks written by Ed Smith. I've got a big, big accounting piece this week from uh, from Philip Ryland on uh, valuing companies on the basis of return on capital. It's really complicated, but this is the kind of stuff that if you are really serious about analysing shares, you need to get your head around. Um, plenty in the uh, personal finance section, I presume. Graham, we're doing a, a personal finance podcast this week? Yes, we are, John. Yes, we are. So I will not mention that because that will all be talked about then. The AIM uh, market is uh, still in the middle of uh, results season. So we've got got a few pages of results this week. That's going to start to to wind down from here on in. And uh, yeah, all the usual stuff, uh, all the usual news, data, everything everything you'd want in in an investment magazine. What are you showing me there, Graham? Five cheap small caps. Talking of the AIM market, LG stock screen this week uh, focuses on small cap. Yeah. 
Well, AIM had a torrid year last year, mm. didn't it? A torrid year. So, you know, it's due, it's due a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, it, it, in all seriousness, well, we, see, I think, I think it's unfair to say AIM is, you know, full of bad companies. No, I don't no, think that's no, very at fair at all. I mean, in a couple of weeks, we'll be doing the AIM, AIM 100 and, you know, we, re, we look at the, the very best companies on AIM and, and mm. they tend to outperform the, the AIM market as a whole anyway. So, and Algae's, you know, taken that a little bit further and, 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 and used his screening techniques to find the best the best ones still. So, yeah, have a look at that. £4.50 in all good news agents and I will see you again after Easter. Have a wonderful little break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.